Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. Today's scripture reading comes from John 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So here it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent into the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Breach the restorer of streets to live in. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sorry, David, for that typo at the end of the scripture there. (laughs) It's good to laugh on a Sunday like this because I have to be honest with you. Uh, It's a Sunday where I'm kind of, if I were wearing boots, I would say I was quaking in my boots as I stood up here in front of you. You know, it's not lost on me that today is the first Sunday of March. March is Women's History Month. It's also the week of International Women's Day, um, March the 8th. And um, it's also the Baptist Women in Ministries Month of Advocacy. And it just so happens to be a day in which we at Greystone are centering ourselves around honest questions. And I have to admit that I would not be able to preach, to stand here, to interpret the gospel, or to hold the office that uh, you all have trusted me to hold if it weren't for some courageous women and men who had the courage to ask some really hard, risky questions a long time ago. So for them, I am grateful. I also want to say, before I really get into the sermon, that 
Um, There are weeks when a pastor sits down to write a sermon, and she starts writing and thinks she's going somewhere, and all of a sudden the words stop coming. Well, that happened three different times this week, until finally I gave way to the sermon that I didn't necessarily want to preach, but I knew had to come. And so in a spirit of humility and deep listening and a lot of prayer, here are the words that came. I always imagined Nicodemus was a younger man, you know, a Pharisee, like the text says he was, but probably younger, like, I don't know, 15 or 20, maybe a little naive, somebody who thought Uh, He had it all figured out. And somebody who was drawn to the thought processes and the philosophies of the Pharisees because he liked the black and white nature of their ideas. I always assumed that Nicodemus was young, probably somebody who didn't yet know how to understand the complexities of life, the gray areas that you discover with each passing year. I always imagined him as somebody who felt safe in a world where right and wrong were clearly defined, where actions had rewards and consequences, and where things were exactly as they seemed on the surface. I really don't know why that's how I always imagined Nicodemus, but it is how he lived in my mind. I never thought about him like an older man, one with age lines on his face, experience allowing him the position he held as a leader among the Pharisees. There isn't a whole lot of background on Nicodemus in the Bible, but John does say he was a leader among the Jews. I never really thought about that before or considered my assumptions about the age of this would-be disciple and how they would color the ways that I interpreted this story. I never thought about it at all until I looked at the art on the cover of the bulletins for today. And until I read the statement written by the artist that's printed on the back cover, she describes his graying hair, his aging body, And then she considers the different sets of questions that come with age. You see, if Nicodemus is a younger man when he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, he brings with him the presumption of a trickster, someone with a little bit of provocateur deep within, perhaps wanting to pull one over on Jesus or tie him to some kind of rhetorical trap. There are plenty of those examples in the Gospels, so why not this one too? Someone who doesn't quite get it, you know, Nicodemus a little bit ignorant, a little bit naive, someone totally in the dark about all things spiritual. But wasn't he a Pharisee? Didn't John tell us that? Didn't they specialize in matters of faith? If Nicodemus is an older man, though, he doesn't quite fit that stereotype. And his nighttime pilgrimage takes on a whole different tone. The questions he asks, they don't seem like they're set to trap. They seem a little less proud and a lot more vulnerable. 
when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Jesus tells him that in order to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And remember, y'all, when John writes these words, it's a long time before the evangelical movements of more recent years had the monopoly on what that term meant to be born again. Here, John is doing one of the things that John does best. He's using words that have multiple meanings. To be born again, in John's word, could be to start over to turn over a new leaf, to have a fresh start, to be born of heaven or to be born of God, to become a new creation. When we're young, the idea of starting over is not such a big deal, is it? Every day, in fact, is a new day with opportunity and reward out ahead. Life is full of fresh starts and new beginnings, and we have all the time in the world to watch each path run its course, a new school year, a new sports season, a new friend, a new town, a new house, a new job, a new relationship. Hey, even a new decade, everything seems full of hope and promise when you are young. The future is yet to be known. The story remains to be written. The questions are accompanied by excitement and the answers can't help but pour forth in possibilities that stretch the mind and open the heart in hopes of finding a new and different way. But as we grow older, the pages of the past are full and they are plentiful. They tell the story of who we have become, the paths that we chose, the life that unfolded, the things we did right, and, well, the things we didn't do so right. For us, the past holds so many things, good and bad. The lies we might have foolishly believed, the promises that remain unkept, the wrongs that went unpunished, and the loves that broke our hearts. We are more who we are each day because that person, the one that we have become, is but a summary of all the days that have gone before. And as we reach those middle or later years, we begin to realize that the number of days that have gone before probably outnumber the number of days that are to come. And so our relationship with the past becomes tainted. And the aged curiosity that might ask the question, how could I be born again, might really be asking, Have I had it wrong all this time? Is there really time for me to start over? Rather than hopeful possibility and curiosity, a 20-year-old Nicodemus might have brought, this older Nicodemus brings questions that come with worry that the journey might have been leading in the wrong direction. There's no way to know exactly what was going on in the mind of Nicodemus. The handful of clues in the text only leaves us with a very rough sketch of the man. He appears exactly three times in the gospel and only in John's. So much of who he was remains a mystery, but I'm not sure for us that is a bad thing. 
because it gives us some space to wonder and perhaps to enter into the story ourselves. Remember how I said the born-again words have multiple meanings in the ancient Greek? Well, this is one of the things that John does regularly in his gospel. He uses words that have layered meanings, different translations, and it's up to us to figure out what exactly he's saying. Here's another thing that John does in the gospel. He employs language of symbols like light and dark. It's all over the gospel, and it's all over the Nicodemus story, too. Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night, implying both that he might not have wanted to be seen and that he was, in many ways, in the dark himself. Remember, Jesus, according to John, is the light of the world, the one who brings sight to the blind, the one who illuminates the path for those who walk in the darkness, the one who shows us the way. And since Jesus is the light of the world, then Nicodemus has come to exactly the right place to find his own enlightenment. Nicodemus is also a Pharisee. That detail John does give us, and it's important enough for him to put it there so that we can remember. The Pharisees, you know, they were a sect within the Jewish faith concerning themselves with the laws and traditions of the faith. And in the Gospels, we often find the Pharisees coming to bring their questions to Jesus as Jesus' ministry departs from the laws and from the tradition often choosing love of neighbor over the legalism of the laws. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus, the two things that the two of them represent come face to face. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness, the law and the traditions and the religious institution itself that the Pharisees represented, that comes face to face with love incarnate. Jesus, the light of the world. Many years have passed since this fateful late-night encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. But people of faith, seekers, honest seekers of all ages, continue to bring our most raw and vulnerable and honest questions to Jesus. Most often, we begin in the dark in our places of great unknowing, where we feel safe from the judgments or even from the awareness of other people. And as we move through these honest questions, all of us, at the root of the questions, all of us are wondering the very same thing. How can we begin again? How can we start over, given this? Like Nicodemus, many of us are beginning to see that there are some things about life, some things about faith, and maybe even some things about God that we thought we knew, and now we aren't so sure. And so we come with our honest doubts 
and our most authentic curiosity asking the question, is transformation even possible? We want to know, is new life really up ahead? We are wondering if we can really be born again. Now, I know that Baptists don't really have a tradition of patron saints, but bear with me for a minute. Baptists are not big on patron saints, you know, faithful disciples who've long passed away, but somehow continue to transcend time and space and guide us along the spiritual journey. But for those of us who are seeking who are looking for God in the darkness of night, who are tired of holding on to our questions in the secret, tired of waiting for safe space to give them voice, for all of us who are wondering if there is a possible future with God where we might continue to be made new over and over and over again, I wonder if Nicodemus couldn't be our patron saint. Ever since the Christian church was formed, it has been formed and reformed and reformed by faithful seekers and saints who dared to ask the most difficult and risky questions. First, it was a question of how God and Israel would treat their foreign-born neighbors. Does God care for the stranger like God cares for the neighbor? And then it was a question of Gentile inclusion. You all have read the New Testament. Is the gospel good news for the Gentiles too? And then the world grew and explores, discovered new lands, new peoples, new customs, new ways of life. And Christians had gained a lot of earthly power at this point. And y'all, we assumed some things about our place in this world. And we had to learn with devastating effect on indigenous peoples and on our own souls that we had it wrong. We were wrong about them. We were wrong about the value in the eyes of God, and we were wrong in the ways that we treated them. The question, of course, is aren't they God's beloved too? During this same period of colonization and exploration and discovery, the church reformers asked more difficult questions, one of them being, shouldn't the Bible be translated from Hebrew and Greek, known only in exclusive religious circles? We should include Latin too. Shouldn't it also be available in the language of the common folk so that we can all read the Bible and receive it and interpret it for ourselves? These were brave questions weighed down with the risk and overflowing with the great possibility of being born again. A few centuries later, the church in the United States found itself in another peculiar situation when the brutality of chattel slavery finally broke through the twisted understanding of slaveholders' religion, and somebody had the courage to ask, doesn't God care for all the people of the world? Isn't the beauty of God reflected and born in the black and brown skin of our African neighbors too? Are they not also 
God's beloved children. And since we know the answer, since they are, how can we treat them with such disregard and prejudice and hatred? Brave questions that lingered too long in the silence. Brave questions that overflowed with possibility and hope for a new beginning, but were also wrought with so much risk that people didn't dare ask them for far too long. And friends, now we find ourselves at a similar crossroads, a pivotal moment in the time of the church. A moment pregnant with possibility, just waiting for someone to ask the honest questions. And still, it is a moment that is saturated with fear because the questions alone carry great risk. Risk that we might discover we've been wrong in the past. Risk that we might lose a bit of ourselves in the process. Risk that friends long loved might, des- might decide to pack up and walk away. Risk that our church might change and never be the same. But in the question, there is also hope. Hope that we might be reborn. And that as we are, we might get a chance to begin again. And maybe even to get a little bit more right this time. While there are many and varied questions that we might bring to the feet of Jesus today as individuals in our own dark nights, there is one question that we must finally bring into the light together. It is a question that has been asked over and over again in solitude and darkness, around dinner tables, at youth group gatherings, in the relative safety of our Sunday school classes. It is a question many of you have written on post-it notes in this very room and asked in meetings and voiced in our growing young conversations. And now, following in the footsteps of Nicodemus the Pharisee, we bring our fears and our hopes together with it. We bring our honest question to Jesus. And as far as I can discern it, here it is. Is God leading us as a congregation to welcome and include and affirm all people, regardless of sexual orientation and gender identity? Is God's love big enough to liberate us from the legalism of the laws that have kept us apart and quiet for too long? Is God's love big enough to liberate us from the cycles of shame that have too often inflicted irreparable harm on our sisters and brothers in Christ? Is there grace enough in God's love to allow us to be born again into the fullest expression of God's love that our hearts and minds could ever imagine. We recognize that we will never in this human life understand God completely. But it is time to find out if we could be made new through asking this honest question, just as Nicodemus was made new 
in the asking of his? Is God leading us as a church to welcome, include, and affirm all people, regardless of sexual orientation and gender identity? Friends, we don't know the answer, but this is the question. Like so many of us, and like so many in the Bible who come to Jesus, through his questions, I believe Nicodemus is searching for healing and wholeness. He can see that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Rabbi, he says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. But the way that Jesus is acting... And some of the things that Jesus is saying, they just don't fit with the teachings of the Pharisees' religion. The God of love is stretching beyond the laws of religion, and this causes Nicodemus to question, how is it possible? And then Jesus says this, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven without being born of both water and spirit. Here we go with the words with multiple meanings again. Remember when you read John's gospel that water always implies both baptism, the waters of baptism, and the waters of the womb. And the water is where new life begins to be born. And Jesus continues in his conversation with Nicodemus, Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Again, with the double meanings, wind and spirit are the same word. Maybe Nicodemus wants to know how Jesus knows when to follow the spirit, the wind choosing love over the law. And in response to his questions, Jesus talks about being born from above, born of the wind, born of the spirit, the same spirit that hovered over the chaos, over the darkness as the world itself was being born. And this is the same spirit that will later blow open the doors and animate the church on Pentecost. You know that Holy Spirit. She is unruly and risky and unpredictable and sometimes downright unsafe. But remember that Jesus also said, those who want to save their life must lose it. And Jesus also tells Nicodemus that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must be born of water and Holy Spirit the spirit who blows through with winds of new life, the spirit that gives new language, new ideas, new missions, new life, new birth, and new ways to show and express God's love. That spirit is God's spirit, and it is always pushing us, the church, into new and uncharted territory because those places are precisely the places where new life and new birth become possible. So if we came here today looking to begin again, if we are looking to begin again, maybe we should start with the path of Nicodemus, the one who brings his doubt and his faith, his fear and his hope straight to Jesus, 
How can an old man, an old woman, and maybe even an old church be reborn? Well, for Nicodemus, it all started with an honest question. Amen.